there are a lot of things we'll find on my my musical journey that because I'm missing the part of the brain that feels shame, I never was ashamed of. But like in retrospect, they were all very supremely dorky things. No, not in retrospect. At the time, they were supremely dorky things. In retrospect, I'm so glad that I did them because they've they've they're they're part of my musical skeleton at this point, and and I like it. I, I like that I I wasn't too cool for singing with my mom and I wasn't too cool for playing clarinet in marching band or singing in a college acapella group. Hey everybody. You know, I had a lot of fun recording this episode, but it made me think, you know, actually made me think about a lot of things. But one of the things that talking to my guest got me thinking about was shame. And not just because of that embarrassing thing that we did together when the mics were off, but for a reason that you'll see in the episode. And it got me thinking about shame as a part of the human experience. You know, there are some people you'll run across, mostly on the internet, because they kind of only live on the beach in real life. They belong to that, like, no bad vibes kind of crowd who believe that shame is always a bad thing. You know, it's you not living your best life. And I don't necessarily cop to that. Is there bad shame, you know, fostered on us through ugly outside contexts or that we put on ourselves in harmful ways? Absolutely. But there being a pathological and political version of shame doesn't mean it's always bad. Why would humans have shame if there weren't an evolutionary benefit for it? And I think the benefit is pretty clear. We're a social species, and shame gets triggered when you cross a social rule, you know, trying to keep everybody in a helpful line. Sometimes that line isn't great, but sometimes it is. Hopefully we can be enlightened enough to be able to look at the shame we're feeling and question whether that taboo we cross deserves to make us feel the way we do. But sometimes the shame is reasonable. It's the times where that answer is no, or even like maybe, or yeah, but it's such a small thing that really who cares, that I was really thinking about after talking to my guest. I mean, so many little shameful things we do in a different context, you know, wearing a different outfit, Those would be completely different experiences. Okay, here's a little thought experiment. Do this for me. Think of something that you're ashamed of. You know, not like a big thing. You know, something small, like like singing in the car. Something that only breaks the dumbest of social taboos. Okay, think about that. You got one? Now imagine a completely different, more confident, uh, I don't know, cooler version of you doing that same thing. And this time around, it's pretty cool, right? Hey, everybody, and welcome back to At Least There's This, a show about some of the small good things in our uh, our sweaty, hot world. Uh, as as my dad, Rob Thomas, featuring Carlos Santana, likes to say, it's a hot one, um, like seven inches from the midday sun. And uh, as my mom, Tasty Guitar Licks, likes to say, I love them. They're such a beautiful couple. What's going on? It is a heat wave in Los Angeles right now. If you are listening to this uh, in the future, you're probably scoffing at me because it's probably 120 degrees at all times, and there's no such thing as the polarized caps. Or maybe it went all the way back around and everything's cold again. Or, I don't know, you're on the moon. Thank you, Elon. Either way, uh, shit can be bad for you no matter where you are, whether you're in Antarctica, uh in Ecuador. I don't know. I'm sure there are bad things in Ecuador. Why not? Or in Los Angeles, just, you know, trying to make it as a, as an actor, but you keep getting cast as an extra. This is dumb. I'm rambling. Anyway, in a world where shit can be garbage, no matter where you are, at least there's 
making music. Okay, guys, I am with Dan O'Brien, someone who I've been listening to, I was just telling him, for a long time. Formerly of Cracked, like most of my favorite people. I know, it's like it's like I'm just leeching You're collecting, you're, you're building a collection here. <laughs> I, I am uh, Benicio Del Toro. Oh, good. Yeah, so you're going to be in a box soon. Do you want to tell my fans about you in case they don't know you? Uh, not really. Okay, cool. He's a mystery man. So we're going to be talking about music, but before we do, I want to ask the question I always start off with. Are you an optimist, a pessimist, neither, both, whatever? I am a completely not begrudging optimist. I hear a lot of the optimists on your show who are like, I guess I'm sort of an optimist, or like, I try to look on the bright side of things, and I'm like, no, I wake up every fucking day like, this is going to be better, and uh, I don't feel any silliness or shame about that or if I do feel silliness I don't feel shame about that silliness it's not a hard question to answer I it's especially gotten stronger in me as I've gotten older which I know might seem counter to what a lot of people think because you meet a lot of very cynical older people and I just think the longer I live and the more things I live through and the more things that I see people living through the more optimism it just fills me with every minute of every day. Why is that? Do you know where that comes from? I don't. Um, there's, there's like definitely like a really uh, crass source for it at some <laughs> point in in my past. Which is this is I, I apologize because I I started out very sweetly being an optimist guy, and this is a, a crass thing. But I as like a moody teenager looked around and took stock of the world and a switch flipped in my brain that was like nobody wants to fuck a cynic nobody nobody's <laughs> nobody wants to hang out with like a moody sad boy it's just like and i i wasn't like changing myself to be more desirable it was a thing that i noticed in myself that i was like that's just not like like cynicism is not attractive it's not cool coolness isn't cool and there's uh nothing wrong with with being happy and happy enough that you get tricked a lot, I think I was always very gullible. Right. And it's and I still am. And it's it's uh, one of my favorite qualities about myself, and I can take credit for it because I had nothing to do with it. It's just a thing that I was born with. Is that Gullibility? Like, yeah, just a, a very gullible person that people would, would play tricks on me in middle school, and I would fall for them <laughs> because someone would say something, and I was like, that may, I... <laughs> and, like, these, these are the, the kind of tricks that people would do in middle school. It was like... Hey, Dan, sixth grade Dan, the most popular girl in school, the eighth grade cheerleader. She has a crush on you. And I'm like, really? That's great. Gotcha. You're pranked. Oh, well. It was nice Dan, to feel that for a while. I, I, I believe in a world where something like that is possible. And <laughs> that's how you fooled me. Is that still something that comes up? Are you still gullible? I think so. I mean, pe no one's tricking me into thinking cheerleaders want to date me anymore. <laughs> but I... Good, because that would be weird. It's... Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, easily easily tricked, and especially if it's a, a positive or a good thing, I, I, I'm inclined to go along with it and believe it, and I don't, I don't think that came from my parents. I don't know exactly where it came from, but it's, it's a thing that's in me that I'm really happy to have because for every time that you get tricked, which is a, a bad thing, that's a, that's a, a bummer mm. to just like, oh... I thought there was magic, and it turns out there wasn't. Uh, that is completely squashed by the amount of 
times that I do believe there's magic in the world and good things can happen. That's I, I see why that would be a positive. I guess I come from a completely different place where I was like, you fooled me once. You're never going to pull that over on me again. And I am very non-gullible. I'm mm-hmm. like the complete opposite of gullible where like you tell me anything. I'm like, cool, I'll get back to you in two days. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and I dive into my little research hole. I'm like, okay, let me cross-reference every one of your sources. Right. And while I like that because I don't get tricked, I also see that there's <laughs> – it can be – it can be harder to be like, well, that's just straight up beautiful. Yeah. You know, like, I don't like your explanation of it. So I'm not going to look at it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been tricked in a way where you're like, maybe I should rethink this? Um, I don't think so. There no. was, I, I, just because I brought up middle school, like, a uh, memory came soaring back to me that, uh, I hope is real and not one of those things that my brain just like concocted over time. Last night we at my science show, we did a science show on stage here. And so we were talking about crime and our my best friend who I produce it with is a uh, cognitive psychologist. And he did his whole presentation about false memories, about mm-hmm. exactly that and how easy it is. So there's a chance this is false. But okay. in the spirit of embracing gullibility, I would like all of your <laughs> listeners to just trust me that it's real. Guys, because just fucking go with it's it. It's real for me right now. There was... Uh, to make this story as absolutely short as possible, it was some kind of middle school or like pre-middle school bus trip. And I was uh, out loud talking to someone about a girl who went to a different school that I had a crush on and uh, using her full name. And then someone later on that bus made sure that I could overhear them talking about this person. And I was like, wait, 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 you know Danielle? And she was like, yeah, I know Danielle. I'm really good friends with her. Uh, she was talking about a guy named Daniel that she's into, and it was like, "Oh gosh!" It's like the like the clearest. It was not a subtle prank. Yeah, it, w- it was anyone who uh, has any ounce of cynicism in them would be like, "No, obviously you just heard me say that name, and that's right. why you're saying it right now, loud enough for me to hear it." But I was like, "This is the moment." <laughs> and, uh, once I found out later um, that. My friend, this person, Lindsay Moynihan, was tricking me. I got moody and sad about it. And she uh, put her hand on my shoulder and was like, it's just it's just that it's so easy to trick you. <laughs> and I was like, I understand. <laughs> I get it. You were right to do that. <laughs> See, now that's, that's an optimist's response to that. Yeah. yeah. Like, good on you. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's laugh together. So you you had this this switch, this mm-hmm. like uh, paradigm shift of nobody wants to fuck a cynic, and so now we're gonna paradigm shift to at least there's this how to pick up chicks. We're not, uh, but we can. No, uh, we can't. I definitely do not know. Uh, I had a guy come on and talk about his rats, and mm-hmm. he keeps rats as pets. It's not like a weird thing, but he did end up talking about how like, I mean, it has helped me get laid, and we were like. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Nikki, but we have to follow up on this. Yeah, I yeah. would be surprised if, and I'm not, we don't need to go into this direction in, in, in this episode, and I'm not saying you should push your show in this direction in all episodes, <laughs> but one of the things that I think about anytime someone is doing, and at least there's this, you can hear passion and enthusiasm, and I would be shocked if it turned out that they had never used whatever was their choice on, at least there's this, to somehow <laughs> lead to sex. Not in like a schemey sort of way, but... Passion is a very attractive thing. Like, when you know about something, when you care about something, it's going to be attractive to someone, I believe, anyway. So, like, I, uh, I, I agree I'm not saying you, that, like, yeah. Tom Ryman was dangling <laughs> Twister out of his window and a bunch of people showed up to sleep with him. But He very well may have been. He may have been. And I'm sure that uh, 
either sexual or not, relationships of his have grown because of his knowledge, passion, and and enthusiasm of board games. Yes. Now, while that's a very apt and true statement, I do want everybody to quickly scroll through every episode and find the weirdest one (laughs) to see how how could that have possibly worked to get somebody laid. Okay, so you had this paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Ump of things being bad, Mm -hmm. and I I think there are more closet optimists than than like to admit. Uh, I still think there's a lot of people who will say they're a pessimist or they'll do that thing that I fucking hate where it's like, I'm not a pessimist, I'm just a realist. Like, go <laughs> fuck yourself in a philosophy class in college, you turd. It's, I... Because I'm sure I think there's if you're... a philosophy class in college where people do fuck themselves. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> what is philosophy? Welcome to <laughs> masturbating with Nietzsche. Um, I was going to do a... Uh, the rise of man joke, but I don't know if that was Nietzsche. That might have been some other philosopher. But still, it's it's. Yeah. I know where you're going to go anyway, with it, and I appreciate you all, it. You guys know how jokes work, right? Okay, good. <laughs> you Pretend I did it. one of those. <laughs> you get comedy. As I, I, I feel like true pessimism is is just like hopelessness and and uh, inactivity. And I don't look around at a whole lot of inactive people, so I think there are more optimists out there. Like you don't you don't eat well if you're not an optimist. You don't work out. You don't. Mm-hmm wake up and, like, continue to live throughout the day, every day, as uh, un- unless you have some degree of optimism to you. I The one counter I'll push back with is I think actually Tom said he was a pessimist. Mm-hmm. And his pessimism seems like it's a fuel for him, right. like, through anxiety. And I think there are maybe, I'd say there are two kinds of pessimism. is like, fuck myself in philosophy class. But mm-hmm. I, some pessimists I know are people who, like, they're sick. Like physically ill, yeah. and it's just they are depressed because of it. And then some, I think it's like this, like well, everything's gonna suck, but it still kind of drives them with anxiety. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a very important distinction to make. That whenever I'm talking about pessimism, I'm not, I'm not talking about clinical depression right. or anything else that like the the chemicals in your body are have have changed you in this way. I'm uh, only talking about pessimism and optimism in the very soft white boy way that that I experience the world. Let's caveat everything. Yeah. That we are two soft white boys. I'm a slightly hairier, swarthier white boy Mm -hmm. with a Mediterranean background very far back in my past. And I, O'Brien, I assume, what is that? That's Greek, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. We came from, and then wouldn't it be great if I could name a single place in Greece, (laughs) but I can't. We came from the Iliad. (laughs) So, um... Let's talk about making music. Yeah. Why? That's a bad... I don't want to ask why you wanted to bring up making music. I think I want to know what your relationship to making music is. Yeah, there was... I think when we were first talking about this, that I had isolated like five milestone music moments mm-hmm. in my life. That's why I love talking to people who came from Cracked because you guys are all like, here's 10,000. Like, right. I'm going to write you an essay. I'm like, dude, I'm not Jack. You don't have to pitch me. <laughs> like, this is a meeting. I just want, you know, bring you. I was rereading the email that I sent to you and you like send a very casual, like, what are some things you want to talk about? I'm like, great question. Here are two options. <laughs> and, th- and I numbered the two options and the first one was making music. And because I'd used one and two was like making music, and then two was the second option. Uh-huh. Within making music, I had five bullet points that were A, B, C, D, E, and then within one of those uh, lowercase Roman numerals for a separate yeah, bullet point list. It was like very professional. <laughs> this is how my brain works yeah. all the time. <laughs> it, it's he writes syllabi constantly. <laughs> um, yeah, milestone number one is uh, the only one in my family who has no uh, like musical abilities is 
my dad to like a, a very laughable degree. Uh, but my mom was always a singer growing up mm-hmm. and then taught us, my two older brothers and I, to sing at a very early age. It was just like a thing that she did because that's what her mother did when she grew up with her brothers and sisters. And, and that is a whole musical family as well. And so we were just my mom and three boys singing uh, like You Are My Sunshine was the song that my mom like this is how I'm going to teach you guys how harmony works. And we were very young learning this, uh-huh. and we just liked it. And uh, we learned a lot of, like, barbershop quartet songs. Wow, and, like, really? Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and not for – we weren't, like, a family band or anything. <laughs> we, just, we just did it. It was just a thing that we liked, and we all liked – like, my parents were very good when we were young to shield us from whatever music was actually happening. And they're like, you're going to listen to the Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel and Carly Simon and uh, James Taylor – and you're gonna develop an appreciation for for this kind of music, and and harmonies were all over those things. Oh, so you're like the bare naked ladies. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We were the bare naked ladies, <laughs> and like the Simpsons episode, Homer's Barbershop Quartet, my all time favorite episode, and that was the thing that was like we liked it so much that let's all learn this music together and sing it together, in like a really adorable, silly way for nothing. <laughs> we weren't performing anywhere. We the one time it felt like performative work was. We were visiting family in Texas, mm. and we were taking the train, which is a three-day train ride from New Jersey, where I'm from. Woof. Um, and we had the uh, sleeper car, which is a you get like your own little room for your family, and the and you get chairs that turn into beds at night because you're it's three days and you need somewhere to sleep. <laughs> and to pass the time, we would either draw or just sit there and sing together as a family, just like idly singing at. 11 at night. Wow. Somewhere between New Jersey and Texas. And then this old couple came into our car and they were like, we heard you singing and you guys sound really good. And it was just nice to hear. And you're all a family? That's so sweet. That's really great. And they, and then they, they left. And we were like, that was nice of them, but that was probably like a passive, like we were, we were nervous uh, Irish folks. Like, yeah. That was probably a passive aggressive way to being like, shut the fuck up. We're all just trying to live. So yeah. we stopped singing and just like quietly sat in the dark room. <laughs> And then they showed up again, and they were like, "Hey, we didn't, we didn't mean for you to stop." <laughs> and now we're like very nervously singing for this couple. <laughs> it was such a strange trip. That's so weird. <laughs> See, if I was that couple, I would not have entered your car because if I had heard three cherubic <laughs> Irish American boys and their mother singing in a train, I would have assumed you were ghosts. Oh yeah, we're definitely ghosts. Okay, absolutely. yeah. <laughs> There's no way you're not. Especially barbershop quartet. Did you die in the forties? We did. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah, tragically. Just, just some six year old singing. The tenor part of Hello, My Baby. <laughs> oh, man. That's still amazing. That's like a Wes Anderson type yes. of thing. Yeah. Like these three boys and – it was three? Yeah. Three boys and their mom singing Barbershop Quartet on a train. Yep. <laughs> I, it's very uh, enviable, though. There are a lot of things we'll find on my, my musical mm-hmm. journey that because I'm missing the part of the brain that feels shame – I never was ashamed of, but like in retrospect, they were all very supremely dorky things. No, not in retrospect. At the time, they were supremely dorky things. In retrospect, I'm so glad that I did them because they've they've they're, they're part of my musical skeleton at this point, and and I like it. I, I like that I I wasn't too cool for singing with my mom, and I wasn't too cool for playing clarinet in marching band or singing in a college acapella group. I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but yeah. all these things that are like conventionally no is... not cool. Yeah. The greatest gift I think that I've ever been given by the universe was just being born 
with coolness being completely off the table. <laughs> there, that was never my path. Hey, Dan, Dan, what's up, dude? It's me, God. You are never going to be cool. Yeah. I was, Don't try. I was delivered, and the doctor was like, he seems really nervous. He seems like he's running late to something. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but this kid's not going to win. <laughs> so just let him do whatever he wants. He'll yeah. be fine. The things that we do in life that are embarrassing are usually the things that make us full, complete yeah. people. Like the shit that you did as a kid that made you cool to other kids is the shit that makes you insufferable now. Yeah. I <laughs> I always think about magicians because because – because how Pursuing, can you not think about magicians? Right. Because in, in 2018, people. Because <laughs> uh, it's such a it's such a dorky pursuit. Yeah. It's such a it's an indoor activity for an outdoor person. Uh, or no, it's an outdoor activity for an indoor person. That is because a, that's really well put. I you want to be on stage and perform in front of people, but uh, you you only get good at that by being alone in front of a mirror pulling cards out of nowhere and like practicing sleight of hand and really dedicating yourself to this very strange, very solo pursuit where for a long time you're really bad at it. And it's easy to laugh at magicians. Uh, Arrested Development does it brilliantly. But as easy as it is to laugh and mock the kid who is learning to be a magician, Neil Patrick Harris doing his magic is one of the sexiest fucking things on the planet. Someone who is a good magician is like, inspiring awe in people who are watching it. There are some jerks who are like, I know what he did. He waited till I wasn't looking and then he he like took the lime out from his pocket and yeah. tricked me. I know magic's not real. Good. Have fun jumping off a cliff, dork. But I, it's still <laughs> cool. I know magic's not real. It's still fucking amazing. It's still this guy tricked me. Yeah. And he and he and he put a lot of work into it and and he, he he's a, a showman and it, and it's it's so exciting. It doesn't even need to necessarily be magic, but like someone who can Pull out a backflip somewhere. Do some, like, really cool, impressive physical feat. It's like, man, I wish I could do – I could. I wish I could run up the wall and do a backflip. Right. Well, this person did too, and they wished it a little bit harder. And that's why when you were doing whatever you were doing, they were in the gym practicing this. They were, they were falling a lot. Yeah. And they were looking stupid while they did it. And that's – the path to doing anything impressive is littered with falling down and looking like a dork and, and – uh, if it's my path, getting made fun of along the way. <laughs> See, that's your optimism coming out mm-hmm. because a lot of people don't want to look like an idiot or they, it's easier to be like, well, that sucks. Like, that guy's a nerd. I don't want to do that. But eventually, if you keep doing stupid things, well, no, stupid can mean anything. If you keep sure. doing laughable things, you'll be good enough at it that it's not laughable anymore and that you can run up a wall and do a backflip or pull a card out of your nose Mm -hmm. or something. And that's fucking cool. People make fun of magicians all the time. I think it's unearned. I love magic. It's really, really cool. Yeah, it's it's awesome. (laughs) I I wish I knew a magician. It's one of the things that my my dad and I really bond over a lot too because he is – we bond over comedy and magic because he is – he – I would describe him as a cynical person. Mm-hmm. He loves his family very much, and he's he's always great to us. But he, like, as far as the world goes, he's got a pretty jaded point of view yeah. about things, and I'm not going to take it away from him. I'm not going to say it's unearned by whatever he's gone through. It's just not my thing. But he has the purest affection for magicians, and it's 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 never even in like a like a. A particularly deep way. I don't want to insult my father or anything, but like it's it's exactly what a magician wants in their audience, which is he leaves a magic show and he goes, "How did he do that? 
where did the bowling ball come from? <laughs> How did he snap the pencil and then make the pencil come back? And he's like, you believe in magic right now, and that's cool, and 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 I do too, and we're just two people who are just like, I know there's probably a trick to it, but like, I can't figure it out. I think there's a thing about cynics and magicians where like, I, because it is known that this guy is a master of like, he's doing physical things. Yeah. He's not trying to tell you he's doing something impossible. He's like, this is purely possible, and you're never going to know how he did it. Mm-hmm. And as a person, I I try very hard not to be cynical, but I'm highly skeptical. I fucking love that. Because no one's trying to tell me, like, I have powers, and you'll never know. And, like, all this, like, I am incredibly well-trained, and I know some dope shit, and you're probably never going to figure out. I'm like, yes, please. Yeah. I love that. And I, I've noticed with other cynical or skeptical people they love magicians. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's just so fun and hard to figure out. Yeah. I don't know why we don't more openly talk about the cross section of excellence. We as a society that uh-huh. like I I'm not a Lakers fan. Uh well, I mean now I am. <laughs> <laughs> because you're a fair weather Lakers fan? Yeah, now that yeah. we've got a Rondo. I'm not sure what other trade moves they've made, huh. but but Rondo, I've been a, Ronda Rousey? Rajon Rondo fan oh, okay. for a while. So now that we've got him <laughs> And uh, whatever his supporting cast is going to be. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not a Laker fan, but I saw when I first moved to Los Angeles back in uh, 08 when the Celtics beat the Lakers, I got to see Kobe Bryant play up close. And I don't like Kobe Bryant, but I watched him and I was very close to him. And he's doing magic on the court. He is doing a superhuman thing. And it is beautiful and amazing. And it's because he put all this work into it, and I could see the work into it. I don't know why we don't talk about that on the same level that we talk about magicians. I'm laughing about it now, but it's still like, we could just like hold up uh, greatness that is based purely on practice and drive and put them all on the same plane. You You can say Neil Patrick Harris and Serena Williams and Tiger Woods and Daniel Day Lewis are all just examples of greatness of people who put more time in than other people and just fed this thing in them. Right, and kept going. And also they were like, well, I'm pretty good at this thing. Let me work insanely hard to make it into this thing. Right, and I'm also equating them because I'm trying to like retroactively make my childhood easier. (laughs) So a bully can't be like, look at this fucking idiot playing clarinet. Instead he'd be like, I guess he wants to be as good at clarinet as Mike Tyson is at boxing, so I respect that because I like boxing. <laughs> You're the Mike Tyson of clarinet, so yeah. you played. So getting back, you yes, played clarinet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was another part of my uh, unimportant part of music for me was was uh, I think in like fourth or fifth grade started playing clarinet. In an example of a thing that that my friend Soren has given me a lot of guff over is that <laughs> I was the youngest of three boys and oh, and wanted to separate myself from my brothers in a way to like stand out because when you're the youngest and like every school you go to is like oh you're this person's brother it's not you don't like hearing that forever you know you want to be your own man i am the middle i am the third of four boys so it's even worse yeah yeah okay but i absolutely get that yeah um uh so my brothers both took trumpet and i was like i'm not gonna Following their footsteps. Clarinet, please. What's the opposite of playing trumpet? I didn't decide, like, the opposite of trumpet is soccer. <laughs> it was a different instrument. Um, I played that all through middle school and then into uh, marching band in high school, which, again, these are moments that I'm grateful for because clarinet is not typically a masculine instrument. Uh, it's 
a very silly looking instrument. And if you, a boy in New Jersey in the 90s, times are not going to be kind to you. No, they, <laughs> they are not. Playing clarinet. Um, but I'm glad none of that entered my head because I learned how to read music from, like, from taking classes on clarinet. And I don't still play it. I eventually switched to bass guitar, which is... Which made life slightly easier. <laughs> yeah, in the 90s, especially in middle school, I think bass guitar was, like, the cool instrument. Yeah. Because Flea was kind of doing his thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was I was in, like, grade school in the 90s, yeah. but I, I was around enough mm-hmm. to get what was going down. Do you play any instruments? By- I, I'm, I, I'm switching this podcast now, and I'm oh, interviewing you. Oh, what fuck. Is, do you have, uh, like, a music I grew up playing. Thing? I grew up playing bass. Uh, really? Bass guitar. Yeah, I don't anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I played mandolin in college in a bluegrass group for a little bit, and now I play nothing. That's fantastic. Mandolin is a real fun instrument. That's so cool. Um, but yeah, now I don't play mm-hmm. any instruments at all, but I do really love it, so I was excited to hear you talk about it. So you played, a, you did a lot of music. Yes. Yeah. But I think I want to sort of start to hone in on good. Like, why why was it good for you? Compared to other things, and get on a pedestal here if mm-hmm. you want. Let's let's make this the small G good. The yeah. to you, why was it good? Making music, playing music. Yeah, I guess there are there there are so many. I'm trying to not think in bullet points right mm-hmm. now, but it's a a problem that I have on podcasts. That I did a podcast yesterday, and and the host said something, and I was like, okay, I have two things I'm going to say about that, and then a third thing, and like because that's the <laughs> way I talk, and I'm trying hard not to be like. Here's my six-point presentation on why music is good to me. But <laughs> Let me give um, you the clicker for this PowerPoint. It was, in a lot of ways, it was, there's some measure of validation in the work put in, mm. which I always really liked because it's, it's again, like learning magic, like learning anything. The end goal was being on a stage and playing music in front of people who liked it, and then maybe later they would like me. <laughs> the path to get there was going through puberty while playing clarinet and learning how to read sheet music or singing on a train with your mom and uh, then, like, being really bad at bass for such a long time and it not even being an enjoyable activity, just being an enjoyable enjoyable pursuit because you know where it's going. And then, like, actually being on a stage and being able to share this part of me was very exciting, not even in a just, like, People are going to like me sort of way. I, I know I, I flirted with that idea. Yeah. But also just like, hey, this is what I've been doing. When I when I couldn't see you, when I couldn't hang out, I've been doing this. And and now you get to see it. And you get to you get to, to hear it and experience it. Because um, the other part, my, my I, I had like a garbage band in eighth grade. We played one show. We played all the small things by Blink-182 and then promptly disbanded. <laughs> and As happens. Yes. And then my... Real band that I was in for like seven or eight years in Jersey was with my two older brothers. We continued the family band thing, and we were we were just like three. We weren't like a we were never like a fighting family. We we always got along. Like I I've never been able to relate to movies or shows where it's like ah brothers are always beating each other up. It's like no 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 we were singing together well, <laughs> in a band. You can't <laughs> harmonize if somebody's no. jaw is bruised. And and we just we we loved each other and we loved playing together and just got to share the music that we made with the people in the world and the people in our lives and like there's uh we won't we don't need to get into too much music theory because I don't know too much about it. Um but there's something about uh Harmony is oftentimes a lot better when you've got someone with a voice that is very similar to yours. Mm. And 
we're brothers, so harmony is really like pop for us. There's there's something that like a group of disparate people in a barbershop quartet, you like worked that. You work so you can sort of get your voices vibrating on the same wavelength. Um, we just have very naturally sounding similar voices. So harmony is really popped and clicked for us. That's why everyone loves uh, Hanson and the Jonas Brothers so much. And I'll hear nothing to the contrary. <laughs> and the Haim. I think you could have gone with Haim. Haim? Are they all related? Haim or El Sisters? That's fantastic. Yeah. Ugh. I, Music. God, I hope I'm not wrong there. Jake, am I right there? Yeah. Awesome. Oh, okay. <laughs> Engineer Jake says it's true. It's true. I'm so sorry. He's British, I, I, so he's uh, smart. I'm sorry I loudly grunted into the microphone, too. <laughs> I don't uh, need to hurt anyone's ears. As one, one thing I wanted yeah. to jump on that I loved, and I want to get back to your family band in a, bit, a little mm-hmm. bit, because I also want to know if you guys ever recorded, because that sounds right up my alley. Okay. Um, but the idea of working towards something, so I mm-hmm. think it's like there's this two-part pleasure which sounds so dirty um the the pleasure of getting to give something to people for sure but then also of like of making it happen you alone somewhere or with people doing the blood sweat and tears and it's the same shit you're talking about with neil patrick harris kobe bryant of working hard to make something that wasn't be yes yeah um i I think I'll talk more about that when we get to the the big G, but yes, in the same way that you're bad at bass for a very long time until you're good at bass, yeah. or like decent at bass, <laughs> which is where I'm at, um, for a long time in practice, this is before even you think about having a gig, excuse me, you don't have the song yet. Right. You You have a lot of time where it's not a fun part of band practice. You're not jamming. You're not playing something that you know and just like rocking out to something and pretending you're a rock star. You're developing. You're trying things that don't work. You're uh, all staring at the floor waiting for someone else to come up with an idea. Uh Um, Those are really tough parts. That's the first year of playing bass where you're just bad. The song is just bad. It doesn't exist yet. (laughs) And then suddenly something clicks and it does. And you don't even need to play it for people. You're just like, there's a, a feeling when it's like, Okay, this is a song now. Right. This, this and you 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 barely remember the journey at that point. I like as uh, both a musician and a writer, which is my primary thing. I never, I never know how anything gets get, gets done. Right. I don't know how I've written anything in my entire life. I remember thinking and like struggling, and I remember a thing being done, and I'm proud of it. But the the it's <laughs> this is. This is very wrong, very condescending, and very and very head up my own ass. Uh, it's amazing it's how like, he's got it up there. It's like childbirth. It's that uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's something that our bodies do, that women's bodies do when giving birth, that it blocks out the trauma of actually giving birth because we biologically want to have more children. Right. And uh, that's my friends who are fathers have a much more difficult time because they don't have that like brain blackout thing. They just yeah. have a much more difficult time mentally, not right. not, not, physically not physically or emotionally at all. Yeah, their bodies are but fine. But just like uh, men I know whose wives have given birth and the the wife is like, we should have another one soon. It, every every part of it was great. And he was like, I don't think you remember <laughs> the worst part, but I can't block it out. Um, that's sort of how I feel about uh, writing and making music because I'm an asshole. Right. I don't remember the hard parts. You just you have this thing all of a sudden, and it and it and it clicks, and it's real, and it's there, and it and and it wasn't there before. And 
no one gave it to you. You all just worked together and made it. And there's and there's bits and pieces of you in bits and pieces of all of you in this thing. Right. Uh, when we were first being a band, when I was sophomore or junior in in high school, uh, I was content if we never played a gig. We were just practicing a lot and writing songs and learning songs and and spending time together and like and I'm I'm just a sucker for like singing with a group of people and then in this case it happens to be my two big brothers yeah and then one day after a few months I was like all right we got a gig May 9th we're going to play a gig I was like oh that's where this was going <laughs> oh no I was I just wanted to be like quietly proud of these songs that we made <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how was your first gig it was good we it was uh probably the the like the greatest uh audience one could play for for a first gig it was this um all girls performing arts high school for uh emotionally disturbed kids um oh. and not not like not in a dangerous sort of way but just yeah. in a uh, it's a school that is built around using music and theater to help people express themselves that's awesome and they were just so enthusiastic and so supportive and it was like i emailed my oldest brother before the gig and yeah. was like Hey, if it turns out I'm really bad at this and you want to kick me out of the band, I want you to know that I won't feel bad and I really had a good run and we're going to find out <laughs> at my first gig if I'm bad. And and again, no hard feelings. This was a great experience. And he ignored that email and we continued being a band for, right. for a while. But like that's sort of how I was going into it was I'm excited that I get to do this and if I choke or screw up some way, I understand this is not for me. And I think because we had this great audience for us, that was, uh, in fact, captive. Because it was like, <laughs> it was a boarding school, so it was right. like an assembly type thing. You're not they going had anywhere. to be there. Yeah, you have, um, if you leave, you're in yeah, trouble. It was really good. And also really silly, like at the, at the very end, they wanted an encore. And we had to get on the mic and be like, those are all the songs we know. We only know nine songs, and we played them. And they're like, play something anyway! So we played a thing, we played a Ben Folds 5 cover that... Um, we all kind of knew, uh, and there are two bass solos in that song, and in both cases, I just went into the mic and said, this is where a bass solo would happen. <laughs> this, I think this is taking us to the big G, because, <laughs> I mean, playing for people who need it, mm -hmm. making music for people who need it, that that is good, good, but then also... You were mentioning how you just like making music with a group of people. You like singing yeah. with a group of people. And I think that is as human as it gets. Like some of the earliest recorded music is just people all singing in a group. Yeah. I think, and that, that speaks to like the barbershop quartet roots that we had mm -hmm. growing up. And also when I was in college, this was again, I had clear examples of what was cool and I just missed them. Yeah. We were at like one of those college fairs at Rutgers where I went to school and like all the different clubs and things are happening and you're sort of walking around looking at what things are and there was an all-male acapella group and I was with my new college friends who were there to like laugh at how silly that like this group of guys in button-down shirts and ties who were like snapping and and like doing choreography and, and uh, beatboxing and the people around me were snickering and I'm like Cut to me with hearts in my eyes. I was like, I agree with you guys. This is the coolest thing in college. And so I joined that group. And and the I bring that up just to say that, like, run a thousand simulations of humanity. We'd find a way to make music. Yeah. Like, the way that we landed now is a bunch of different ways. And we have instruments and we have digital music, all these kinds of things. 
this is a group of guys who are sitting in a classroom doing everything with just mouths. It's acapella is all right. vocal stuff. And uh, I'm sure if you go way back in music history, that's what it was before we had instruments. That was just people who were figuring out ways to make noise that sounded good together, sometimes with a rhythm, sometimes not. I, right. I, I should be better about this because I minored in music in college, but uh, I don't know basic things like the origins of music. <laughs> so I, I don't, I I'm, I'm not sure if that's a thing that people know. Okay, Is good. That, yeah. I don't think so. I, th- I don't think it, it could be. Um, but I just, I still imagine there's something, whatever it is that is in us that makes music. You know, you hear birds, birds make music, right. and that's going to give a caveman an idea of what can I do? That, yeah. that sounds good. How can I do a version of that? And then, and maybe get laid doing it. <laughs> like, by with all my passion and no shame. Or maybe he was really embarrassed and was like, I'm just going to go behind this tree for a while. Yeah. I hope nobody sees me do this bird thing that I don't have a name for yet. Right. And then one day I'll just bust it out like a superpower. Yeah. And hopefully people will be into it. Or they'll burn me as a witch. Right. Um, but, but so you, why is that good, good? That's good to me. Uh, I think. Uh, any sort of act of creation is an act of rebellion. I'm sure I'm not the first person on the planet who's had that thought, but it's a thing that I think about. And like music is making music when you're writing music from nothing. Uh, it's still rebellious to me because you're looking at the world and you're, you've decided it's missing something. And so you put something into it. It, it. This is like, no, this isn't quite right yet. No one is saying the right thing. I guess I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the one who writes the song that says the the right thing. Like, I've listened to a bunch of songs. None of them have my exact worldview. So I'm going to I'm gonna tell people how it is because they're not doing it right. And uh, it's, it's also rebellious in nature to me because it's something that I don't believe can be stopped. They can never stop us from making music. Whomever they ends up being, if the, the, the government can try to, outlaw music and they could round up every instrument in America right now and destroy them and like sorry bitch I still have vocal percussion I can still beatbox and if I got someone who can carry a tune then we're gonna make something we're gonna make a song about how you missed us you didn't catch us and uh, we're gonna perform it for our friends and if you shoot me down someone else is gonna do it somewhere else someone's gonna record the sound of the bullet piercing my brain (laughs) And make a beat out of it because you just can't stop creativity. And that's been good for everyone, you think? I think that's good for everyone, yeah. I think the the idea that there is an untouchable source of creation is always a good thing. And I I don't mean this is like a lot of people after the, the election, which, I don't know, hot take, I don't care for our current president. <laughs> that's spicy. A little too spicy for this Okay, show. well, I don't... I don't Come at me, I dare you. I dare you, Los Angeles Man. podcast listeners. People are at the door right now. People listening to this podcast live are going to be pissed. Um, but there are a lot of people who are like, uh, bad political times are, are great for music and great for comedy. I don't subscribe to those ideas at all. But in general, music, the ability for music to be born out of any and all times is very inspiring to me. That's it's it's there's so far never been a time politically, ideologically, socially in America that has been bad for music. We've never had a president that all the musicians were like, 
I have nothing to say anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, going to put this up on the shelf. We're always doing stuff. We're always evolving. I, I say we like I'm in this broad community of musicians. I'm not. I think, I'm an internet writer. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that everyone, it's like a zeitgeist yeah. thing. Because you were saying you put out something. You know, this hasn't been said. Let me put this out. You put it out, but then you've just changed the world and someone else is going to have an opinion on it. Well, yeah. this is different. Now I have a thing to say. And so it's like building a constant Jenga tower. Yeah. It's, it's never going to be done and you're always going to pull the pieces and then – yeah, you know, it'll just constantly build. That's how Django right. works, right? Right, those Django. <laughs> I've I've never been out of the house. It sounds like you're a really good Jenga player. I uh, the thing is, I'm only good at one skill, and it's okay. Jenga. I'm an internationally ranked Jenga player. I'm sure not top five, but I am top ten. That's great. Uh, which is great. There's mm-hmm. only ten internationally ranked Jenga players. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's just always. There will, it, like you said, it'll never be stopped because it'll always be a new thing to say. Even if it's like, "Hey, remember that old music? I sure liked that. Let me sound like that again." That's yeah. still a thing to say. Like, "Oh, I have a new feeling." Yeah, right. Well, how do you feel about white denim trying to sound like they're from the seventies? Oh, it's good, but I kind of want to sound like I'm from the nineties now. Yeah, you know, or something. Like, there's always a new thing to say. Yeah. Why doesn't anyone sound like Weedus anymore? <laughs> Because I don't know who Weedus is. Oh, yes, you do. Do I? Uh, teenage Dirtbag. Oh, yeah. I did Teenage Dirtbag and Weezer? nothing else. No, it's Weedus. Jesus. Yeah. All right. Well. It's a band that really wanted to be Weezer and didn't try to hide it at all. <laughs> they got the first syllable and then got embarrassed. And as we've learned from you, don't be embarrassed. Don't ever be embarrassed. Yeah, don't ever don't be, be embarrassed. embarrassed singing a cappella. Yeah. Playing clarinet. Singing right. with your family on a train. <laughs> do you think that... The fact that people make music. Okay, uh, let me come at this another way. Mm-hmm. If if we go back in time, and that that caveman, it, it doesn't have to be a man. It could have been a cave woman, or they could have been a plains people. Oh yeah, but, but that uh, they're called anatomically modern hominid. Okay, that anatomically modern hominid never heard that bird, mm-hmm. and instead saw a deer prancing. And was like, dance, dance yeah. is going to be the thing. We're all going to dance, and no one's going to sing. Uh, what what's different? Uh, nothing. I okay. think we, I think it would still evolve eventually into music because there were certainly there were uh, like these uh, this gumboots style of music that emerged. I think in Africa that um, was could very easily have been born from someone watching a deer or a gazelle because mm-hmm. it's it's non vocalized. It's very rhythmic based. It looks like it's some marriage of dancing and marching there's a lot of stomping and like foot slapping and thigh slapping and it's mesmerizing to watch and it's also like undeniably musical in a purely percussive world that's i would i this isn't how it happened but i could imagine it was born in by a a group of people who had never heard a bird before or never known music before but still have the the undeniable rhythm of your heart, the heartbeat, <laughs> the greatest drummer of all, love. <laughs> so uh, music, it's just in us. I think music yeah? is in us, yeah. Okay. yeah. All right, and it's good because, well, I guess, wh- why like, is it good? It's good in the, the, the Big G Good again because the, the rebellion that it can't be stopped and that it connects humans, like there's, we haven't found a tribe of people anywhere on the planet that hasn't come up with some form of music. It's in all of us. Uh, don't fact check me. I feel pretty good about that, but in my opinion, it's yeah. true. In my opinion, it's true. I would actually be really excited if there was like, oh yeah, this this tribe in like D 
deep, deep, deep Mongolia. Mm-hmm. No, they're they're all about just conversation. I would be very interested, and I would just show up and be like, uh, "It's cool, you guys never heard music." Okay, uh, here's 1,900 songs that I wrote, and you'll never know. <laughs> My name is All of the Beatles. <laughs> um, the other thing that's good that that um, is larger than yourself, but not quite as global as music connecting everyone on the planet through heartbeats, is uh, <laughs> I'll try to get not too sappy with this or anything like that, but I mentioned that... Uh, the top of the show that my mom taught us, you are my sunshine, mm-hmm. as, and that's how we learned harmonies. Uh, a few months ago, my grandma passed away, her mother, and we went to her wake, and my aunt in her eulogy was just like celebrating my grandma, as one does in a eulogy, and that's where she mentioned that one of my favorite memories is being in a car with with my sisters and my mother, and she was teaching us, you are my sunshine. That was the first time in my life that I learned that mm-hmm. grandma did that. And it is now a thing that connects these generations. And uh, some p- time between us being born and my grandma passing away and, and me learning this, my brother David got married. And, and when you have when you get married, you sing, a, you do a little dance with your with your mom if you're a boy. Yeah. And my brother's a boy. So <laughs> he danced with my mom, and it was the the he chose "You Are My Sunshine" as their dance, and like everyone in my family wept. It was the kind of thing that like. You could pick any song in in human history, but the the second that song starts, there's so much emotion wrapped into it because I'm thinking about being three and my mom teaching me music and how two chords of this song like floods me with emotions. And meanwhile, my mom is devastated by it. And her siblings have their completely different relationship to this song and it's you can feel the the energy of the room change like our temperatures change our bodies change because of music because of this song that just affects us in in different ways the connections that you can have songs that span generations just i don't know it's it's i maybe people have more have a connection with that with with taste or with or something they see i don't know how other people experience different senses but for me like like the fact that a chord of a song can make me think about my entire life and and now that I know more about my family the broader branches of that spreading out to different generations and and my new quest to find out why grandma started doing that and who sang it to her the first time mm. this is an amazing beautiful bizarre thing about music a deep connection yeah, yeah that it's it connects you through time emotionally because yeah. there's no way that music isn't in some way emotional. Yeah. Somehow. Like, it's so like it's in, so evocative. In a much lighter version of that, there's still I, – I think about being at middle school and high school dances. And as soon as, like, the beginning of Hey Ma by Cameron comes on, everybody screams and runs to the dance floor. And, like, if you did that now to – people who are roughly my age, they would still do that because that song fucking bangs. <laughs> and, and took over a lot of people's lives for a uh, stretch in the 90s. And uh, that it's not as emotional as uh, a song that connects my late grandmother and my, and my parents and me and uh, and and now my godson and, and one day my children. It's still a song that connects a whole lot of people. It's just, yeah. you're sitting there, you're, you're, you're at a bar and you're like, yeah, I'm not really sure about uh, 
you know, there's they're they're putting kids in cages at the the borders, and suddenly here, hey, Ma, it's like, oh shit, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flooded with emotion. Which I don't mean to minimize all the problems that we have in the world right now. You should absolutely work on them and donate and call your Congress people and all that. But still, if hey, Ma, or hey, yeah, or let's keep it going, Daniel. Hey, by the Pixies, one of those things came on, <laughs> and I was face to face with a stranger, and like our eyes would light up. It was like. You grew up in Oregon, I grew up in New Jersey. You also bopped to Hey Ma? Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> it sounds like the way you're describing it, it's like you both just took the same drug. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, this shoots a bunch of dopamine in your brain too? Me too. Let's yeah. go do it. <laughs> oh, that That's is, also yeah. one of the other small G good things, just okay, because it, okay. it, it reminded me of that, was the, the I'm in a band now with a bunch of expats that uh, you haven't had on the show. Abe Epperson. Haven't had him Cody yet. Johnston. Haven't had Cody. Brandon Carter. No. We have a terrible fuck around band. We've been playing together for about four years. We've played out twice. Okay. And we practice every week. <gasps> we just get a studio and a bunch of beers and play and sing to each other. And like we talk about, we're going to record one day or we're going to play out more and like be a band. It's fine if we don't. Uh, the. One of the things that makes it very small G good, apart from all the things that I've said about the joy of making music with people, it's like four hours where we're not looking at the news. The goal shouldn't be ignore the news right. forever, obviously. Find ways to step away from it, though. And this is a way, like, I haven't figured out a way to play bass, sing, and be on Twitter at the same time. And I'm really thankful for that. I'm glad they don't have, they haven't invented the glasses that give me constant news streams. So right. this is four hours guaranteed where A, I'm making something that didn't exist before. B, I'm hanging out with a group of friends making music and jumping and drinking. And C, I'm disconnected. I'm not I'm not refilling myself with the rage machine of Twitter and the yeah. news. Uh, that, that, that brings it back to something that's kind of a, a constant on the podcast is not everything, but most things that are good have some sort of communal basis. Oh, yeah. Because we are a communal species. So I'm reading this anthropologist right now, Barbara King, and um, she does NPR columns a lot. And she's talking about sort of the evolution of the religious impulse, but also through that art making, because they're very intertwined, and how it's about this idea of belongingness. We're, mm -hmm. a, a, we're a communal species, so belonging to a group, that feeling of wanting to belong sort of became religion where you're belonging to something larger that's that's her hypothesis mm -hmm. and so art making she's discussing even when solo when you're creating symbols you're still doing it as part of this human group yeah right so even if you're making music alone say you're the weekend mm -hmm. he's, he's a solo guy he's by himself jake is the weekend alone is the weekend a solo yeah, that's one guy. Okay, one great. Guy? Thank you. Okay. Jake is a music expert. Um, is the weekend Heim? <laughs> uh, all three members of Heim, they do the fusion dance and they become the weekend. Oh, good. Yeah, that's how it works. So, fusion dance, is that station? Is that Wayne's World 2? What is the fusion no, dance? No, the fusion dance is from Dragon Ball Z, but it's the oh. same shit. Yeah, it's very much the same shit. Uh, although Wayne's World, not Wayne's World not 2. Not Wayne's World, uh, Bill and Bill Ted, Ted 2. 2. Jesus, yeah. oh, God. Very, s the same movies, but I'd say Bill and Ted 2 is better. Absolutely. Yeah, I love. I'm so sorry I made that mistake. No, it's fine. Keanu is so underrated. He's a gift yeah. to all of us. And Alex Winter is great, too. But uh, <laughs> That's usually how that goes. Yeah, yeah, he's also fine. So even when, like, say, The weekend is making music alone, it's still... 
he's still a part of something. He's a part yeah. of everyone who's ever made music before, yeah. and he's giving it to people. And you're like, I'm with my friends for four hours. I'm not part of Twitter. I'm not in this negative place. But you're still like, like you could go and just be alone for yeah. four hours. But it seems like the thing you love so much is like, I'm with these people. We're just singing at each other. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It sounds, you know, it's it's your little church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also go to church, but okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's communal in its own way. I got too. lots of churches, baby. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a man who needs my church. <laughs> Fuck yeah, this was great. I think, um, I think we've covered a lot of good bases. Is there anything oh, yeah. you're like, no, I want to hit this. We didn't hit this. Um, there will be things that I think about on the ride home. Oh, I'm sure, because I just I, we didn't even talk about doing musicals. No, we did uh, not talk about doing fine. musicals. That's not really making music. I didn't write those things. Well, you're still making it with your face. Yeah. You know what I wanted to talk about? What do you want to talk about? You're not on Twitter. The podcast is on Twitter. Alex is not on Twitter. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah. talking to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> how 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 is that? Uh, we don't need to take up too much time, but I I when I heard you yeah. mention not being on Twitter, I It's really nice. It's a world that I don't understand. Yeah. My brother's uh, not on Twitter, but he is an occupational therapist in New Jersey with a family and a, yeah. and a home. You live in L.A. and do whatever weird job we all do. Right. And it, you're not on Twitter. It's really nice. My So my friend Jackie Abel, who is also a podcaster, and um, she does the Guilty Pleasures Guilty pod Ple- with yeah. Amanda. Yeah, she's fabulous. She's also a social media manager. And I was telling her, like, yeah, I just I have Facebook for my podcast. I barely check it. And I have Twitter for my podcast, that's it. And she's like, you're never going to get any listeners. Like, <laughs> okay, Jack, thank you for destroying me. But it's also, it helps me kind of keep saying, I, I used to throw so much of my time down social media rabbit mm-hmm. holes that don't really make me happy. And I'm kind of doing that now with the podcast a little bit. I'll engage just because it's fun, but like, it doesn't do much for me. I'm very jealous. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the Twitter addicts now, so I... I... I don't see a future where I don't have it. I'm deleting my Facebook, and Twitter will be the only social media thing that I have. But it's also all-consuming, and I can't imagine a world without it. And I, I whenever I hear of a, a person who doesn't have Twitter, I get very excited and curious. <laughs> oh, you're one of them. You've just what's it like out the bush? there? I hear it's hot. I read on Twitter that it's hot. Have I, you been outside? I is have been true? outside. It is wow. Hot. You know what I, I did to keep myself off of social media is I now read a lot of books on my phone. Mm-hmm. So whenever I get that thumb impulse to go to your little uh, dopamine thing, I go to my books. And mm. like, you have to read a book now. It's like you're in middle school. And yeah. I, I read whatever's on my phone. Nice. Yeah. But also, I don't have followers. Nobody really <laughs> is excited to know what is Alex thinking, where you have a good following because people have liked your talking and writing since – Crack days. I've so. been very lucky. Yeah. yeah. And you're also very talented, like sure. uh, Kobe and Serena <laughs> <laughs> and that nerdy magic boy. <laughs> I So I want to start to wrap this up. Do you sure. have any plugs you want to plug? Absolutely not. I, I don't plug anymore. Um, uh, I think there are – well, there's two things to that. I don't plug – my own stuff because I feel like like that like advertising is everywhere. I okay. think it's the most successful thing in the world is that is that uh, we've found new ways to cram ads places. I feel like <laughs> if I went to sleep for twenty years, I would wake up and be like, "Oh, they figured out how to put them on trees now. That's fucking crazy. They're growing advertisements, you, man. You pop- why are these the only people who are good at their job or people in the ad business? I don't understand. It. I work in a marketing department for my day job, and it's like scary. I 
I'm an event. I'm sorry, I said all. Those no, things. no, it's true. I'm an events manager, so like I don't handle that. But like yeah. I work next to these people. I'm like, Jesus, you guys are impressive. It's they they keep finding new places, and yeah. and uh, I feel like especially with the internet, with with YouTube videos and podcasts, there there are there are plugs for things. Like everything like turns into an advertisement. Right. So what I'm doing if people ask me for plugs now is just talking about other things that I'm not associated with, which feels a little bit less grimy to me. There's one plug that I have is uh, this show, the show that you're listening to right now. Um, it only keeps going if you tell people to listen to it. And you Thank you. you like it because you're listening to it. And uh, remember that it costs you nothing to tell your friends, hey, I think you would like this episode. And in fact, it would be a really great conversation starter. If you have a friend and they like board games or models or <laughs> podcasting, and they were like, one of my favorite things to do with, with friends and family is to be like, hey, I know you haven't heard of this podcast yet. I think you'd really like it for the following reasons, that show that I can clearly demonstrate that I know things about you. And B, here's an episode that would really resonate with you based on something that I know you're interested in. And it's a good like connection point that you can make with friends while also spreading a podcast that costs you fucking nothing. And you like it, so just do it. Tell people about the things that you like so the things that you like can keep going. Uh, two... Asia Brown is the mayor of Compton. You can follow her at Asia, A-J-A-L Brown, spelled like the color, Asia L. Brown. Uh, the water in Compton is brown and yellow and has been for a year. The Sativa Water Company is trying to destroy the water in Compton. No one is working on this. No one is addressing this. There was a town hall meeting where a bunch of people went to protest and they showed up with water bottles full of brown and yellow water that they got from their faucets. And there are a bunch of other people with signs that were saying, this is a myth, this is a scam. And those people were hired off a Craigslist ad by the Sativa Water Company to try to shut this down. The water's fucking brown in Compton. No one is doing anything about it. Fix the water in Compton. Talk to Asia L. Brown and find out what the fuck is going on in Compton. Those are my plugs. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good plugs. Um, shit, well, I don't really have to plug my own podcast anymore. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. Normally I say something like uh, I try to make a little joke about it, but I think you nailed it. Oh, good. So yeah. I'm just going to leave it at that. Guys, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you uh, for tuning in and letting me talk to people I find interesting because this is the only way I get to have conversations with people. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate it. I love you all, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.